Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. President Biden is centering his re-election campaign on the threat of a second Trump term. As NPR's Tamara Keith reports, Biden suggests he's only running for re-election because of Trump. Speaking at a fundraiser outside of Boston, Biden went a little off script towards the end, saying, quote, if Trump wasn't running, I'm not sure I'd be running, but we cannot let him win for the sake of the country. Asked later on the South Lawn of the White House whether he would be running if Trump wasn't, Biden dialed it back. I, I expect so, but look, he is running and I just, I have to run. Did you drop out of Trump now? No, not now. Biden often talks about Trump when he explains why he came out of retirement to run in 2020. And Biden is now regularly saying he believes Trump is determined to destroy American democracy. Tamara Keith, NPR News. The Senate is still arguing over how to pass a measure with USAID to Ukraine. Republicans demand any aid measure must be tied to U.S. border security. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer blamed Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell after a meeting on aid ended badly yesterday. It was immediately hijacked by Leader McConnell. The first question, instead of asking our panelists, he called on Langford to give a five-minute talk about uh, the negotiations on border. And that wasn't the purpose of the meeting at all. But Utah Republican Senator Mitt Romney says Democrats just don't get it. We agree Ukraine needs the money, and it's in America's interest to get the money to help Ukraine. But we also recognize that the president put border security on the table as part of this supplemental, and unless they're willing to shut down the 10,000 a day being released into the country, they're not going to get a deal done. President Biden warns that USAID to Ukraine runs out at the end of this year. A new study finds that only about one in three people who are eligible to take a statin medication are actually using them. NPR's Allison Aubrey reports many people don't know they could benefit from the cholesterol-lowering medication. There's a lot of evidence to show that taking a statin medication can help reduce the risk of having a heart attack or stroke. Yet primary care doctor Tim Anderson of the University of Pittsburgh, who evaluated the use of statins among people nationwide, found over the last 10 years there's been a trailing off in the use of statins among people who are eligible due to high cholesterol or other risk factors that put them at high risk. That leveling off has even happened as statins have become more affordable. And so that leveling off is is quite surprising. Anderson says statins are among the best tool in the toolkit to prevent heart attacks and strokes, and people can talk to their health care providers about the risks and benefits. Allison Aubrey, NPR News. It's NPR. I'm Rupa Shanoi. This is WBUR in Boston. The presidents of MIT and Harvard are defending themselves over allegations they didn't do enough to combat anti-Semitism on their campuses. House Republicans grilled the pair on Capitol Hill yesterday. In focus was several pro-Palestinian demonstrations on campus that happened after the war between Israel and Hamas began. In her opening statements, Harvard President Claudine Gay said the university condemns both anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. We have increased security measures, expanded reporting channels, and augmented counseling, mental health, and support services. We have reiterated that speech that incites violence, threatens safety, or violates Harvard's policies against bullying and harassment is unacceptable. Gay added it's been difficult to confront hate while also preserving free speech. 
The Cambridge City Council may soon have a first-in-the-nation way to, of addressing reparations for the descendants of enslaved people. Councilors unanimously passed an ordinance this week that would create a commission to investigate historical human rights violations and how to address them. City Councilor Quinton Zondervan says it's important to recognize the harm done to descendants of formerly enslaved people. It's really a historic step towards fully accounting for slavery and and how we can become a much more equal society where that historical injustice isn't continuing to produce inequitable outcomes. The city manager still has to approve the measure. Senator Ed Markey is calling out the parent company of Facebook and Instagram for what he says are intentional violations of child protections online. The Children's Online Privacy Protection Act requires websites to obtain parental consent to collect personal data from kids under 13. Markey and Republican Senator Bill Cassidy are demanding an answer from Meta by next month about how it monitors or blocks online accounts for users under 13 years old. A nearly 15-year-old battle over a proposed biomass power plant in western Massachusetts shows no signs of ending soon. The plant would generate energy by burning wood, but there are concerns it would exacerbate health disparities in the city of Springfield. Adam Frenier has more on the latest delay for the project. The Massachusetts Land Court has ruled construction permits for the project have expired, affirming a decision by the Springfield Zoning Board of Appeals. The developer of the project, Palmer Renewable Energy, had argued since construction work at the site had begun, the permits were still valid. Biomass plants burn wood, which have led to air quality concerns among opponents. One of them is City Council President Jesse Letterman. And this is just the latest in a a series of rulings that are really once again showing that the days of polluters being rubber-stamped in Springfield are over. An attorney for Palmer Renewables says his clients are considering whether to appeal the latest decision. For the New England News Collaborative, I'm Adam Franier. It's 7.07. WBUR supporters include Babson College, where an MBA or specialized master's equips you with the skills to take action and lead with confidence. Gain the highly sought-after entrepreneurial mindset at Babson, ranked number one in entrepreneurship by U.S. News & World Report and 10th best college in America by The Wall Street Journal. Babson.edu slash grad programs. Some snow showers today. We could get a coating in Boston and east of 495. Up to two inches could fall in some pockets along the coast. It'll be in the mid-30s. Clearing overnight with temperatures near 20, mostly sunny tomorrow and in the mid-30s. It's 32 degrees in Boston. Thanks for listening to WBUR. WBUR supporters include Jarl and Pamela Moon, focusing on civil liberties, foster youth, public radio, and the arts. I'm Deepa Fernandez. The crisis in journalism has been chronicled many times over. The pandemic and current economic conditions hasten the decline. Most of the focus has been on newspapers, but even WBUR's own future is far from assured. That's why we need more members and member dollars. Giving $10 or $20 every month is the single best thing you can do to keep our journalism going. Give monthly at WBUR.org and thank you. Good morning. This is the last day of our year-end fundraiser here at WBUR. 
we still have to raise $152,000. But I'm Rupa Shanoi. I'm Morning Edition host here with Tiziana Deering. And Tiziana, do you know that number, 152, it has gone down already, what, $2,000 so right. far this morning? Right, by you, 7 a.m. Yeah. You guys are moving it down already, and the morning has barely begun. We know what you can do when you act together. This is the time to do it when we need to make this goal in order to get where we need to be to fund the services we bring you in the new year. So right now is a great time to give because there is a dollar-for-dollar match on the table. It is the last match of this year-end fundraiser. It will only last as long as the matching funds last, and we need you to do your part and take advantage of it. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And here's Tiziana. Right now is a great time to give. It's also the time to give. These matching dollars won't last. There's too much happening globally, nationally, and and locally to let a public radio fundraiser fail. And these matching dollars, when you give, create the wave. Your dollar with their dollar, it creates the wave that launches this day. It gets us over the top. We know this is how this works. Mm-hmm. So we are asking you to launch that wave by taking advantage of the match and giving now at 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And here's Meghna Chakrabarty to tell you how a few dollars from you makes that wave happen. I love climbing the mountains of New England, especially partial to the New Hampshire ones. So, you know, when when you get to the top of Mount Monadnock or any New England mountain and you see the the cairns there, the little pile of rocks that people have added every time someone summits and you put your your rock on the cairn. It always reminds me of my absolute favorite Disney movie of all time, technically Pixar, but Disney movie, Moana. Really love that film. And there's a scene in Moana where she goes to the top of the mountain on her island with her father. And there's a cairn there at the top of the island. And it's every every chief uh, that her people have ever had. And he says, when you, he says to Moana, when you lay your stone on top of this island, you raise us all higher. And to me, in a sense, that's what great journalism does, and that's what contributions to great journalism do. Your contribution is like that stone added to the edifice of public service journalism. And when you add that stone, it lifts us all higher. It makes our journalism better. And so that's why I think it matters. It matters to give um, because you make a, it makes a big difference to what we can do uh, and how we can serve people, um, and it lifts us all, our entire community. Yeah, it's, that is such a great way to explain how WBUR works. This is the foundation of this public service. We do it together. This is some. This is a community project that we all work on together, and we only get there together, and this is when we do it. This is the last day of our year-end fundraiser. There is a dollar-for-dollar dollar match on the table. It only lasts as long as the fat matching funds last, and we need you to get in on it because we still have $152,000 to raise. We need you to do your part and get in on this match. Go to WBUR.org or call Call 1-800-909-9287. And thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Good News Garage. Over 5,500 donated cars given to New Englanders in need since 1996. Tax deductions and free towing 
goodnewsgarage.org, and Jose Mateo Ballet Theater. Rediscover the magic of the Nutcracker at the Strand in Dorchester starts December 9th. Tickets from $25. BalletTheater.org. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. Ukraine is facing a crisis over billions in military and economic aid from its most important backers, the United States and the European Union. Europeans are divided. The U.S. Congress is frozen. And the White House says Russia will win this war without more funding. Bad timing. Ukraine's counteroffensive has stalled and Russian forces are advancing. NPR's Ukraine correspondent Joanna Kakissis is with us from Kiev to tell us more about all this. Hello, Joanna. Hello, Michelle. So why is aid to Ukraine up in the air right now? So, Michelle, let's start with the United States, which has been perhaps Ukraine's biggest global champion. U.S. aid to Ukraine is set to run out at the end of this year, and now it looks unlikely that Congress will approve new aid before then. Republicans say they won't approve a spending bill that includes $61 billion for Ukraine unless there's money for a border wall with Mexico. Uh, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky was supposed to speak via video link to the Senate, but he canceled at the last minute. Zelensky's chief of staff, though, is in D.C., and Ukraine's foreign minister insists that the Ukrainians are lobbying everyone to make sure the funding comes through. And, and what about uh, the European Union, Ukraine's other mm-hmm. major supporter? And they're closer to the action, frankly. That's right. Um, Well, it turns out that the leaders of the European Union are also divided. They're supposed to meet next week to discuss a budget that includes the equivalent of about $54 billion in military and economic aid to Ukraine. And they're also set to decide whether to open membership talks with Ukraine. But any decisions, Michelle, require the approval of all 27 member states. And right now, the Prime Minister of Hungary, Viktor Orban, he says he opposes more aid to Ukraine as well as opening EU member membership talks. Orban is close to the Kremlin, as is another EU leader, the Prime Minister of Slovakia. I spoke with the Ukrainian journalist and soldier Pavlo Kazadin about this, and he told me that all this uncertainty only helps Russia. He's saying if what we're talking about here is decreasing or stopping aid or the supply of weapons, of course, this means that Ukraine will lose more territory. So, Joanna, tell us more about what's happening on the battlefield now. Yeah, well, even as winter sets in, parts of the front line are on fire. For the last couple of months, Russian forces have been pushing hard to capture Ukrainian land on two fronts in the east. The most difficult battle is around a town called Avdivka. Before the war, it had about 32,000 people. It also has Ukraine's largest coke plant, and that's the fuel, not the soda. Uh, Now only a few hundred residents remain in Avdivka. They're hiding in basements, and the Russians are advancing. And what about the Ukrainian counteroffensive? that we've heard so much about. Yeah, well, the ground operations for Ukraine's counteroffensive are largely stalled, in part because Russian forces have fortified their positions and landmined the front, especially in the south. I spoke to a member of Ukraine's parliament, Solomia Bobrovska, as she serves on the defense committee, and she tells me what she's hearing from her constituents. These days... People are exhausted, people are tired. People understand that if you want to get victory and to take one village and to put one flag, it costs a lot. And um, that's a long way we have to go still. And so it feels like this will be a very bleak winter. The mood around the country is much more pessimistic than it was last year. That's NPR's Joanna Kakissis in Kiev. Joanna, thank you so much. You're welcome, Michelle.
Now, Joanna mentioned that Congress has yet to approve additional aid for Ukraine. An effort to do that before year's end seems to have fallen apart for now. Republicans have said they will not approve that aid unless the bill also includes money for an unrelated crackdown on migration at the U.S.-Mexico border. An administration briefing on Ukraine seems to have dissolved into a shouting match last evening. Senator Chris Murphy was there for some of it. He's a Democrat of Connecticut. Senator, welcome back to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. What happened? Well, you are very right that Republicans are playing a dangerous game with the security of the world. They are refusing to support additional aid to Ukraine, despite the fact that they say they um, believe it's important until we make major hardline changes on immigration policy. Now, there's lots of unrelated issues that I care about. You know, I care deeply about the gun violence crisis in this country, but I'm not making demands that we solve that in order to get my vote on Ukraine, because I think it's important for the security of the world to make sure that Vladimir Putin doesn't march through Ukraine and into Europe. How did, uh, how did people so, end up shouting at each other last night? Well, I, I think it looked to me like pretty planned theatrics. Uh, and um, I think Republicans are coming face to face with the real dangerous nature of the um, demand that they have made. Um, we're willing to talk to them about changes in border policy, but we can't implement hardline changes that completely shut down the border. Um, and if they want to be reasonable about changes in immigration policy, then uh, I think we can probably get to a point where they get something and then they also are in a position to vote for Ukraine aid. I wish, I wish they weren't putting us in this position. I wish they weren't holding Ukraine aid hostage to this domestic political issue. But that's where we are. Democrats are trying what? to be responsible and negotiate with them. They just haven't been terribly reasonable in their demands. Let's let's talk this through, though. Senator Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, who has been very strong, uh, among others on his party, uh, on aid to Ukraine, has said he simply will not allow Ukraine aid to pass without a border crackdown of the kind that Republicans want. Given McConnell's broad support for Ukraine, is that not something you need to take seriously? But if you broadly support Ukraine, if you think it is important for the United States and for the world to stop Vladimir Putin from marching into Europe, why condition your support for that vital investment upon the resolution of maybe the most difficult domestic political issue that we face, immigration? A cynic would say that, in fact, that's a way to guarantee that Putin wins, to suggest that Ukraine won't get their money unless Congress unwinds the vexing 40-year problem of immigration reform. So I hope Mitch McConnell is telling the truth when he says that he supports Ukraine, but it's certainly a curious way to support Ukraine, to say that they will only get their money if my hardline demands on a completely unrelated issue get met. I want to figure out what the hardline demands are. You referred to a threat or a demand to shut down the border uh, to resolving a 40-year crisis, uh, but I don't feel that I have a clear idea of what you believe Republicans want that you could not accept. Are their demands really that sweeping, and are they specific at all? I certainly have been reluctant to negotiate in public as the lead Democratic negotiator on this question of border policy changes. But but I, I think I can characterize it this way. Um, I and Democrats um, acknowledge that right now there are 
far too many people um, crossing the border and being released into the country. Many of them don't have a legitimate claim of asylum. So we want to change the laws and surge resources to the border so that far fewer people are crossing and far fewer people are released into the country that don't have a legitimate claim of asylum. Republicans want to close the border, just close it, so that even people who are legitimately fleeing terror and torture have no opportunity to present their case. Now, that's a demand that sounds familiar because it's what Donald Trump ran on, but I don't think it's in the best traditions of this country to deny people with legitimate claims of asylum access to the United States. And I don't think that that's what the American people support. So that's where we are stuck, is the Democrats are willing to make significant progress, changing the law, resources to reduce the number of people being led into the interior. Republicans are making much more hardline demands. Just, just got a few seconds here, but are you essentially alleging that Republicans have taken the position that they will not vote for something they want unless they also get something that they also want. That's essentially what they're saying to you. Yeah, I think that's exactly what they're saying. And they are also making it clear that um, they are only going to vote for Ukraine with uh, hardline immigration policy changes. And that's something they know probably can't pass Congress right now. Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. Pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Biden administration says Israel is not doing enough to stop Israeli settler violence against Palestinians in the West Bank. Now, the State Department has a new tool to step up the pressure. Extremist Israelis responsible for violence against Palestinians will be denied visas for the U.S. NPR's Michelle Kellerman has this report. When Secretary of State Antony Blinken was in Israel last week, he pressed the government to prosecute settlers who have attacked Palestinians. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller says the U.S. has been raising this issue for months, but the violence has intensified in the wake of the Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th. This includes unprecedented levels of violence by Israeli extremist settlers targeting Palestinians and their property, displacing entire communities as well as violence by Palestinian extremist militants against Israeli civilians. Anyone taking part could be added to a visa ban list. Miller says dozens of Israeli settlers are to be added to the list, and their family members could face restrictions too. But the State Department won't name names or say if it would ban extremist members of the Israeli government from coming to the U.S. The U.S. also can't deny entry to U.S. passport holders, though there are many Israeli-American settlers living in the West Bank. It is the government of Israel that has the responsibility to hold uh, extremist settlers responsible. That includes settlers uh, of any nationality who are committing violent acts. In responding to the sanctions, Israeli government minister Benny Gantz took issue with the U.S. characterization of the settler violence. It does not represent Israeli citizens, and it does not represent the settlers of the West Bank, 99 percent or more of whom are law-abiding, Gantz said. Secretary Blinken has also been pushing Palestinians to stop attacks against Israelis in the West Bank, and the new visa ban could apply to anyone undermining stability there. Michelle Kellerman, NPR News, Washington. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Canyon Ranch Lennox, the all-inclusive wellness resort in the Berkshires. Spa, fitness, gourmet cuisine, and restoration for the holidays and the new year. 
Wellness and relaxation, a three-hour drive from Boston. Learn more at CanyonRanch.com. That's CanyonRanch.com. And Lake Champlain Chocolates. Celebrating the season with organic, fair-trade chocolates at local specialty food stores and at LakeChamplainChocolates.com. When NPR first came on the air, a set of principles guided our work. NPR will serve the individual, promote personal growth, regard differences with respect and joy rather than derision and hate. NPR will provide listeners with an experience that enriches and gives meaning to the human spirit. NPR will explore, investigate, and try to interpret issues of the day so listeners might better understand themselves, as well as governments, institutions, our world. NPR will be trustworthy, enhance intellectual development, expand knowledge, and increase the pleasure of living in a pluralistic society. NPR will be a service to listeners that makes them more responsive, informed human beings, and responsible citizens of their communities and the world. And that's still our purpose. Work we do with you and for you. And we can only do it with your support. So please donate to this station today. NPR hosts there talking about the values that drive us every single day here on WBUR. That's why you know you can trust us and you turn to us to keep you informed about what you need to know about the world down to what's going on in your neighborhood. But we need to make sure we need your help to make sure this service continues. I'm Rupa Shanoi here with Tiziana Deering. We are letting you know this is the last day of our year-end fundraiser. We still have $151,000 to get to our goal. That number has been coming down this morning, and we are so grateful to the people who have given. Thank you very much. You know that we set the tone for the day, and if you start us off right today, we will get where we need to be. If you have waited and you have a minute, please give now because there is a dollar-for-dollar match on the table. A A group of WBUR listeners want you to give so much that they have incentivized you. They are telling you your impact will be doubled for WBUR when you give now. So go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I always struggle on the fundraising break when we play that sound from the hosts because I believe it so profoundly that I get a little choked up. (laughs) I always have trouble talking out of that one because that's why we do what we do. And it's why you trust us and listen to us. Those of you who have brought the number down already today, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Those of you who are listening and haven't given yet, I'm telling you and I'm asking you now is the time. Start us off this morning. Get us going on this wave. And if you have the capacity to do that $1,000 gift, that $5,000 gift, that $10,000 gift, do it now, please. There's a dollar for dollar match. Those don't last. Imagine what uh, you know it, it becoming twenty thousand dollars does to that hundred fifty one k we've got gosh. left. Right? If you can give a thousand dollars now and we get it doubled, think what that does to bringing down the hundred fifty one thousand we have left. <laughs> That's how we get there. You get us there. And if you say I can't get anywhere near that, I can do ten dollars. It gets us there. Mm-hmm. You are our lifeline. The key is to do it this morning. It starts a wave that gets us through the end. We know how this works. Mm. It works with you, and it works with you taking advantage of the match this morning to set the tone for the day. Thank you for listening, and now please 
be the next one to give. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Yeah, one five one dollars $151,000. It sounds big, but it is so doable because we are going to do it together this morning. We are going to get that number down. And you know why you're going to do it, because when you support WBUR, you are fighting back against misinformation. You are supporting a source of unbiased, balanced news in your community. It only continues with your support. If you can give a larger number right now, that will help us out so much because it will be doubled by this match. That matching money will not last. It's a, it's a you know, defined pool of money that will not last. So we need you to take advantage of it while it is around. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287 and thank you. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Indiana University, committed to moving the world forward and working to tackle some of society's biggest challenges. Nine campuses, one purpose, creating tomorrow, today. More at iu.edu. From American Jewish World Service, supporting human rights advocates worldwide in the fight for democracy, equity, and justice for all people. Learn more at ajws.org. From Paycom, Paycom guides employees to find and fix payroll errors before submission in the Paycom app. Information about employee-guided payroll is at paycom.com NPR. And from listeners like you who donate to this NPR station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. The head of the International Committee of the Red Cross says humanitarian conditions in Gaza are dire as Israel expands the war with Hamas. What I saw in Gaza is a shattering, devastating humanitarian situation. And the conditions are such that an adequate humanitarian response will not be possible if the situation persists as I found it yesterday and the day before. That's ICRC President Mirjana Spiljarich speaking to NPR's Morning Edition from Geneva. She says the recent seven-day pause in fighting allowed more shipments of aid to reach civilians in Gaza, but she says there are few working hospitals with no surgical capacity in many areas of Gaza. Authorities in Texas say they've made an arrest in a series of shootings that left six people dead. Those shootings occurred yesterday in the San Antonio area as well as Austin. Robin Henderson is Austin's interim police chief. Based on information obtained over the course of these investigations, we strongly believe one suspect is responsible for all of the incidents. The suspect is in custody and no longer poses a threat to our Austin community. Three others were injured in the attacks, including two police officers. A motive is under investigation. This is NPR News from Washington. From WBUR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. Massachusetts congressional leaders are criticizing Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville for the months he spent blocking hundreds of military promotions. He announced yesterday he's ending the block. Senator Elizabeth Warren says the move put national security at risk and likely harmed military retention and recruitment. Congressman Seth Moulton says Tuberville's actions, quote, accomplished nothing except for degrading our military leadership. Some Boston officials and education activists still aren't convinced about a plan to move the O'Brien School of Math and Science to West Roxbury. 
That school currently shares a campus in Roxbury with a vocational school. At a hearing last night, city councilors asked Boston Mayor Michelle Wu about the plan. WPR's Max Larkin was at that hearing. Community members told him they're upset they aren't being heard in the process. Just sincere reservations about the diversity effects, the transportation effects of the move, you know, putting a school nearly on the Dedham border that is currently in the heart of Black Boston is going to make it difficult for kids coming from East Boston, from the southern parts of Dorchester, and it may change the makeup of what is Boston's most diverse exam school. Mayor Wu has designated $18 million of the city's budget to start work on the move next year. Massachusetts officials are asking for more than $1 billion in federal funding to replace the Sagamore Bridge. The Department of Transportation filed a joint grant application with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. The money the state is asking for would cover half the cost to replace the bridge. Other attempts to get federal funding for the project have been denied so far. It's 734. WBUR supporters include Plymouth Rock Assurance, auto and home insurance that strives to treat you with kindness and humanity because they believe there's never been a better time for nice. PlymouthRock.com. The Red Sox have traded outfielder Alex Verdugo to the New York Yankees. Verdugo spent four seasons with the Sox. In exchange, Boston will get three pitching prospects. Mid-30s and cloudy today with a chance of snow showers. Boston and areas east of 495 could get a coating. Parts of the coast could get up to 2 inches. Low 20s tonight and the clouds slowly move out. Tomorrow, mostly clear skies and mid-30s. It is 32 degrees here in in Boston. You're at WBUR. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from BritBox with Payback a new original crime thriller from the creator of Line of Duty and Bodyguard, starring Grant Chester's Morbin Christie and Ozark's Peter Mullen. Streaming at BritBox.com slash NPR. From Procter & Gamble, maker of Z-Quil Pure Z's Gummies, designed with melatonin for occasional sleeplessness to help people fall asleep naturally. Learn more at ZQuil.com. And from the sustaining members of this NPR station, This is Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Michelle Martin. And I'm Steve Inskeep. Many advertisers on social media find the behavior of Elon Musk is not worth the trouble of advertising on his platform X. Musk says that the lack of advertising may sink his company. He also said something else. Here's NPR's Bobby Allen. Even longtime observers of the unpredictable Elon Musk were taken aback at his comments recently on stage at the New York Times Dealbook Summit with journalist Andrew Ross Sorkin. Don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go f*** yourself. When Elon Musk tells advertisers to F themselves, it kind of makes it difficult for people like me to tell their clients that he has their interests at heart. That's Tom Hespos. He runs Abydos, an advertising consulting business. Hespo says he had meetings with companies that used to advertise on X after Musk's comments who were wondering what to do. And he said, well, maybe it's time to leave. That was kind of like the final nail in the coffin. Like, uh, if, he, if he's telling you what he wants you to do, believe him. <laughs> it was the final nail in the coffin for many advertisers. That's because since Musk bought the platform last year, he got rid of more than two-thirds of the staff, including those who police the platform for hate speech and harassment. He reinstated previously banned users 
And now anyone can buy the verified blue check. That has supercharged the spread of false posts. And Musk himself has courted controversy recently by endorsing an anti-Semitic post. Advertisers don't want to answer questions about, you know, why are you on a platform that seems like it's a safe space for anti-Semitism, for uh, hate speech? The Musk post, he apologized for it, but not before the damage was done, says Lupus Gallus, a former advertising executive who now helps blue chip companies with marketing plans. If your CEO is on a different sheet of music than the rest of the company, it really requires a lot of suspension of disbelief that those views aren't imbued in the company. When Musk has generated controversy in recent weeks, Piscalis says he's fielded questions like these from top executives worried about what placing ads on X would mean. Could we precipitate a boycott of our products? If our products get boycotted, will the board call my CEO to task? Lots of large companies like Walmart, Apple, Disney, and IBM have stopped advertising on X. It's hard to know how much ad money has disappeared. That's because Musk took the company private and its financials are no longer publicly available. What we do know is that 90% of the company's annual revenue comes from advertising. On the dealbook stage, Musk said the advertiser revolt could be lethal for the company. Actually, what, what this advertising boycott is, uh, is, is going to do, it's, it's going to kill the company. And do you think that the company... And the whole world will know that those advertisers killed the company. But what does he mean by kill? Bankruptcy? Will it go totally under? Will he sell it? Is he exaggerating? As is always the case with Musk, it's hard to answer some of the basic questions. Pascala says there is no doubt that with reusable rockets and electric vehicles, Musk has been a business genius. But running a social media site is not something that can be solved mathematically. And I think that does not comport with his superpower. So I'm hoping that causes him to ultimately want to sell the platform to someone who would be a more capable steward. Of course, as the richest person in the world, Musk can bail out X for a very long time if he wants to. But at what point might he just want to cut his losses? Some Musk observers say probably never. He's too determined to prove something to his haters. Bobby Allen, NPR News. State lawmakers in Tennessee are demanding an audit of every juvenile detention center to see how often kids housed there are locked up alone in cells. This comes after an investigation from WPLN and ProPublica revealed that one facility in Knoxville has punished kids for minor rule infractions by secluding them for hours, even days at a time, which is against the law. Paige Flager with member station WPLN reports lawmakers are calling for that facility's superintendent to resign. We're here to meet with Mr. Bean. At 83 years old, Richard L. Bean leans on a bamboo cane as he gives a tour of this detention center that bears his name. He's run the facility since 1972, and he's nostalgic for the way things used to be, like when he could beat kids with paddles. We didn't have any problems when I'd whip six or eight a year, and it run pretty smooth. Uh, they say, you don't want him to get a hold of you. And Bean holds outdated and unapologetic views on juvenile justice. What we do is treat everybody like they're in here for murder. And you don't have any problems if you do that. For years, Bean has failed to keep up with Tennessee's changing laws and standards, especially when it comes to locking kids up alone in cells. Records reviewed by WPLN and ProPublica show that Bean has been using that practice, called seclusion, more than other facilities in the state, locking kids up for infractions as minor as forgetting to bring books to class. 
Tyshawn Booker knows firsthand. He calls me from Morgan County Correctional, where he's incarcerated for a homicide he committed when he was 16. He's 24 now, but remembers being secluded in the Richard Albine Center. He struggled to keep his mind busy. I learned how to make dice out of bread. Rolling dice on a dirty floor for hours. Yeah, I remember we're in solitary confinement, so I get hungry. And I eat the dice. He would eat the dice made of bread. He says it was worse than anything he's experienced in adult prison. I guess Richard Bean, from it being a juvenile detention center, they think, oh, they're kids. Nobody gonna do this to kids or nobody gonna treat kids like this. Around the time Booker was locked in solitary, Tennessee's Department of Children's Services changed its rules surrounding seclusion. A 2018 state law said seclusion should be a last resort and could not be used to punish kids. It was an acknowledgement of research that showed solitary confinement can have damaging psychological effects, especially on kids. It's the state's Department of Children's Services that's supposed to enforce those rules. But the department has not done so at the Richard Albine Center, where isolating kids in cells continued for years. The department declined to comment about why it did not do more to intervene. Kylie Graves is with the Tennessee Commission on Children and Youth, a group that's been advocating for more oversight. You can write everything into statute and create some really solid legislation, but if it's not being used or it's not being enforced, then what's the next step? The Department of Children's Services is somewhat limited in its power over a facility like Bean's because it's run by the county. It's part of the reason that Bean is not concerned about getting caught. Were you ever worried about, you know, maybe getting in trouble for it? Well, I believe if I got got in trouble for it, I believe I could talk to whoever got me in trouble and get out of it. That's about to be tested. Since our reporting, Bean hasn't responded to requests for comment. A member of the Bean Center's board defended the superintendent's practices to a local TV station, calling it the best facility in the state. But more than a dozen Democratic state lawmakers are calling for Bean's resignation and for a deeper examination of how juvenile detention centers have been locking up kids alone in their cells. For NPR News, I'm Paige Flager in Knoxville. This is NPR News. You're listening to Morning Edition on WBUR. At the top of the hour, more than 400 military promotions are moving forward after Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville finally releases his hold on them. It's 7.43. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Sincere Foundation, which supports organizations that provide food security, housing stability, and safe spaces, and envisions a future where everyone has the opportunity to celebrate, recognize milestones, and honor memories. Sincere Foundation. Learn more and see if your program qualifies at Sincere.com. I'm Daryl C. Murphy. The journalism you get from WBUR depends on a strong foundation of listener support. And that's why your monthly gift is crucial. Make a modest monthly contribution that will have deep meaning and a big impact every day. Give now at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. We're in our year-end fundraiser here at WBUR. This is our last day. This is when we raise the money we need to continue this service in the new year but we need to make this money before the fundraiser ends tonight. We still have $149,000 to raise. 
We need your help to get there. There is a match on the table, a dollar-for-dollar match that will double your impact as long as these matching funds last. So go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shanoi here with Radio Boston host Tiziana Deering. Good morning, Rupa, and good morning to you on this last day, last day. Last match, dollar for dollar, $149,000 to go. It's a chunk. Um, And this last match matters for it. There is too much going on in the world. And there will be way too much going on in 2024 Mm -hmm. to fall short on this fundraiser. We must keep up with the news in order to keep giving you the quality news and information you rely on, especially now in a world of increasingly advanced artificial intelligence where it is hard to know what's real and it's hard (laughs) to know what's true. But you know we will bring you what's real and true. You know we will be the bastion you can turn to for clarity. But we can't fail in these fundraisers in order to keep doing that for you. So with 149000 left on the table, now's the time. Because right now, every dollar you give is $2. It's going to chip away at that number yeah. fast. And later into the day, the match will be gone. We are asking you not to wait. If you have not given, what a difference you can make for us now. I am not kidding. You are our lifeline. So 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. You make such a difference for us. You listen every day. We are your companion every day. You depend on us to keep you informed every single morning from everything from what's going on in Capitol Hill to division at Beacon Hill. All that happens only— 148 to go. 148. Keep going. Keep going. Yes. Okay. So WBUR is an essential in your life. So support it. It It is only here for you to listen to because of listeners who give. And we need that to be you because this is when we make the money that fuels all the journalism that you will hear in the new year. And there is a match on the table that will double your impact for WBUR. So yeah, if you can give $10 a month, that'll become $20 a month. And over time, $20 a month is a has a really big impact for WBUR. If this is a point in your life where you can give a larger gift, We know that it's a challenging time, and if you can't, that we completely understand. But if you can, this is a really good time to give, and we need your help. And you know when you give what you're getting because you listen every morning and you value it because we are there for you every day. Think about how many things in your life are actually dependable. We're like the weather. No matter what, we are there for you. Be there for us. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. A $1,000 gift, if you do it now, is $2,000 for us. A $5,000 gift becomes ten. dollars A $10,000 gift. And every time on these fundraisers, a few people step forward on the last day, and it turns out that's what they can do. Mm. Think of what that does this morning when it becomes 20 and it takes us down from this 148k we have left to go. It is a chunk. And I'll say it again, there is too much happening in the world for us to fall short on a fundraiser. There's too much you are relying on us for. There's too much we want to and need to bring to you. So while the match is there on this last day, whoever has brought that number down for us in the last few minutes, Thank you. Thank you so much. And you who have not given yet and are thinking about it, please, such power in doing it now. 
1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And thank you. WBUR supporters include Revision Energy. Sunbug Solar is now part of Revision Energy, a solar installer committed to fighting climate change in New England. SunbugSolar.com. And Kaiba, providing technology solutions to government agencies in the health and human services space. Kaiba, KYYBA.com. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Michelle Martin. It was a shocking event, almost unbelievable, so disturbing it brought a usually unflappable President Obama to tears. A gunman headed to Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, where he killed 20 first graders and six teachers and then himself. That was nearly 11 years ago, and the tragedy galvanized a new push for gun safety regulations. But little has changed, except for more school shootings and other mass shootings that have taken many more lives. It's about too easy access to too many guns with very little regulations. That's what it is. That's what sets us apart. That's Mark Barden. His son Daniel was seven years old when he was killed at Sandy Hook. And Barden is keeping his son's memory and his own hopes for change alive through a new documentary. It's a way to involve a whole new constituency and hopefully just increase the engagement of folks who want to see us do better. A Father's Promise is out in select theaters on Friday. It's executive produced by Grammy-winning singer-songwriter Sheryl Crow and tells how Barden, at least, found his path to healing and meaning. I spoke with him about it recently. You know, we we think about and miss our Daniel every single day, uh, all the time, and uh, do everything we can to prevent other families from, from having to endure this. You know, one moment that struck me in the film was when your wife Jackie said she couldn't believe that her son was killed. She just thought, there's just no way. And um, I'm sorry to take you back to that moment, but do you remember what was your first thought? Oh, very much similar. There's, uh, I mean, when I was at home, having dropped off all three kids on their respective buses that morning, and I started getting text messages and phone calls and emails about, you know, a lockdown in the district. And I remember thinking, okay, you know, there's, they're taking a safety precaution for whatever reason. And then a neighbor called and said there was a shooting at Sandy Hook, and I was just in motion, flying down to the school where I had been many, many times as a volunteer for various things, and uh, arriving on a scene that looked incomprehensible uh, with all of the emergency vehicles and personnel all over this little provincial setting. Uh, it just looked surreal, and as more information became available and that maybe there was there was a shooting inside the school, and I immediately started to gear up to... If that's true, I'm going to have to figure out how to explain that to this beautiful little empath, which is our Daniel. And um, as the day, the morning went on, you know, the news became more clear. And sometimes today, sometimes, you know, it's hard now to, to imagine that Daniel is gone and gone forever. Hmm. You know, for you, you're a musician, a professional musician, and music is so much a part of your life. And it was a part of your kids' lives and how you, at first, you just didn't want to touch an instrument. And Could you just talk a little bit about that? You're right, because as a musician, the natural tendency is to think, well, a devastating tragedy occurs and, and that's going to be your solace and that's what you'll turn to for comfort. And I think because all three of my children, James, Natalie, and Daniel, were very connected to my music, and Daniel very much so, as a result, I just couldn't get near music or think about playing guitar uh, for quite some time after that. And it's been a 
journey in process and the the work that I've been able to do through uh, Rick Korn's documentary uh, has afforded me some wonderful musical opportunities and kind of continuance of my journey back to music, back to my true self, I should say. Some of the film, and I'm just for people who haven't seen it yet, and it's a little different from what people might expect is, I mean, yes, there is footage of you playing and of them playing, but some of it is just them letting you talk. How was that for you? Was that helpful? Yeah, you know, maybe in retrospect, but in the moment, it's difficult for me to hear myself tell my story or hear somebody introduce me as the father or the parent of, you know, a child who was murdered. It's still hard to comprehend that and then to connect it with with music to know that now that my true self in, in my music self has been able to merge with the advocacy work that I've been doing for the last 11 years, uh, it's, it's an interesting worlds collide moment for me that I think has a lot of potential. People who don't know you maybe as a musician, don't know your connection to these other musicians, might know you or remember you from your work in helping to launch the Sandy Hook Promise Political Action Fund, because you were very visible in the immediate aftermath, hoping to achieve some sort of policy changes that might have made a difference here. Tell us, for people who aren't familiar with it, what does the Sandy Hook Promise Political Action Fund hope to accomplish? Before we had a, a good sense of how we wanted to evolve as, a, as, a, as an organization, we did advocate for passing the Mansion Toomey Universal Background Check Bill. And when that bill uh, failed, it was kind of a catalyst for us to re-examine the model. And yes, you still have to continue to, to support and introduce bipartisan school safety and gun safety and mental health at the policy level. But we also learned that there are always warning signs before somebody harms themselves or, or others, and those warning signs represent opportunities for people who are trained how to identify them and have the tools to get that individual connected to the help or the services they need before it becomes a tragedy. I think we're on our 16th school shooting that students trained in our Know the Science program followed the model and prevented from happening, along with over 500 suicides that didn't happen because of students trained in our Know the Science programs, knew how to get themselves the help that they need. And to get the word out that we have this product, we have a, a, a something that's working, and it doesn't cost anything. Bringing that through musicians and having them explain to their base, you know, there are solutions available to us. Um, and gunshot is the number one cause of death for young people under 19 in this country. It should be on everybody's list of something to be talking about and, and doing something about. Mark Barden is the father of Daniel Barden, who, as we mentioned, was killed in Sandy Hook Elementary School on December 14, 2012. He and his family are featured in a new film, A Father's Promise, which is out in select theaters on Friday. Mark Barden, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate it. This is NPR News.
WBUR supporters include Babson, top-ranked in entrepreneurship by U.S. News & World Report. Babson's MBA prepares you to tackle global challenges. Babson.edu MBA. And The Provider Group, an insurance brokerage and benefits firm serving high-net-worth individuals and businesses, working with carriers like Safety Insurance. ProviderIG.com. It's Layla Faldid from NPR's Morning Edition. The demonization of fact-based journalism is one of democracy's biggest threats. This aversion to truth has taken hold as the number of local newsrooms has dwindled, leaving reams of disinformation to fill the void. In public radio, we have a responsibility to counteract disinformation. This station is an oasis amid all the noise and fiction. Having a reporter at the school board meeting at City Hall, that is our resistance to the undermining of a free press. We resist by being there, by providing platforms for people to see themselves reflected and to see difference. We resist by building bridges and by holding people to account. We do it thanks to you. You give us the tools we need to fight attacks on truth by donating to this station. Here's how. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. This is the last day of our year-end fundraiser. This is the last match of this fundraiser. We need you to take advantage of it. We have $146,000 I'm sorry, uh, to go this morning, and we need your help to get you to get there. And that number is coming down. It is so exciting to see it come down. And yeah, I'm partial to Morning Edition listeners, but I believe that you guys get it done. I mean, it's it's coasting the rest of the day. You guys are the powerhouse. You set the tone and you create the momentum that gets us where we need to be. We need these funds in order to bring you all the news and conversations you depend on in the new year. So go to WBUR.org or call one 800 909-9287 and take advantage of this match. I'm Rupa Shanoi here with Tiziana Deering. So $146,000 to go. Those who've helped bring that number down this morning, thank you. This dollar for dollar match only lasts till nine o'clock, which makes my heart flutter a little bit <laughs> because we um, we got to do a big chunk during morning edition. We know that that's a really important time. And the dollar for dollar match is critical. If you have been waiting to give, please take advantage of the power of a dollar for dollar match. Your $10 a month gift becomes 20, your $50 a month gift becomes 100. If you have an end of year capacity to do that $1,000 gift, that $5,000 gift, that $10,000 gift, all of that's doubled, right? $2,000, $10,000, $20,000 to help us bring down that 146 k number, but only till 9 a.m. And we know the morning edition hours are critical to our fundraising success. Mm -hmm. This is a time there is so much going on in the world. We cannot afford to fall short on a fundraiser now. If you have waited, now is the time. I'm talking to you. We rely on you. You rely on us. It is, we're a community. Mm -hmm. I know you care about us. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And thank you so much for the, to the people who have given. Join them. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thank you. 
Support for NPR comes from this station and from your part-time controller, specializing in nonprofit accounting. Your part-time controller helps nonprofit organizations with their accounting needs, remotely or in person. More at yourparttimecontroller.com. And from the Nature Conservancy, partnering with communities across the globe to find solutions to the climate and biodiversity crises, committed to building a future where people and nature can thrive. Nature.org slash solutions. I'm Weekend Edition host Sharon Brody, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. You can listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Korva Coleman. The Israeli military says its forces are in the second largest city in Gaza. It says this is the most intense stage yet of fighting. Palestinians report many civilians continue to be killed. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and other cabinet ministers have met with the representatives of the families of the 137 remaining hostages. NPR's Eleanor Beersley reports attendees describe the atmosphere as highly disrespectful. The meeting was also attended by several former hostages who gave first-person accounts of their time in captivity. They said men as well as women are being sexually abused and suffering beatings and other forms of psychological warfare. They said they were told Israel had been destroyed and they believed it. Released hostages castigated the Israeli government for claiming to have intelligence on Hamas locations, yet bombing indiscriminately. They said during captivity they were more afraid of Israeli bombs than Hamas. One former hostage berated lawmakers over reports that Israel is considering flooding Hamas tunnels with seawater. She accused them of prioritizing their political future. Eleanor Beardsley, NPR News, Tel Aviv. The fourth Republican presidential primary debate takes place tonight at the University of Alabama. As NPR's Jimena Bustillo reports, four candidates will be on stage. Former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, businessman Vivek Ramaswamy, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. That's who met the polling and fundraising requirements set by the RNC for the fourth GOP debate held at the University of Alabama. But while they're expected to discuss their plans for foreign and domestic problems, the frontrunner Donald Trump won't be on the stage. Trump, who has skipped every debate so far, will be at a fundraiser in Florida, marking the first time that he hasn't had his own debate counter-programming. Jimena Bustillo, NPR News, Birmingham, Alabama. Civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump says he'll file a wrongful death lawsuit in the case of Leonard Cure. He was a wrongfully convicted black man who was released from a Florida prison in 2020 and was shot and killed earlier this year by a sheriff's deputy in southeast Georgia during a traffic stop. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, Benjamin Payne has more. Leonard Cure's family says he was starting to get his life back together after serving 16 years for an armed robbery he didn't commit. The 53-year-old was killed in October by Camden County Sheriff's Deputy Buck Aldridge. Authorities say Cure became noncompliant after being arrested for speeding. But civil rights attorney Ben Crump says Aldridge escalated the situation, triggering Cure's PTSD. Crump says the family plans to sue Aldridge and Camden County for $16 million. That number is significant to the family because it represents a million dollars for every year that he was wrongfully convicted. Crump says Aldridge had a history of excessive force, which the sheriff's office should have known about before hiring him. For NPR News, I'm Benjamin Payne. You're listening to NPR News. 
from Washington. From WBUR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. Governor Maura Healey is unveiling a new plan she hopes will improve economic competitiveness in Massachusetts. The economic development plan out this morning focuses on industries including artificial intelligence and robotics to bring more jobs to the state. It also aims to increase housing and improve transportation. The plan so far does not include cost estimates for the various goals. The governor plans to file the legislation next year. The president of Harvard is defending her actions to handle anti-Semitism and Islamophobia on campus. She was one of several school leaders called to testify yesterday on Capitol Hill. A Republican-led committee criticized how several schools handled protests following the start of the war between Israel and Hamas. Harvard President Claudine Gay says she's trying to deal with accusations of hate while preserving free speech. This is difficult work. And I know that I have not always gotten it right. The free exchange of ideas is the foundation upon which Harvard is built. And safety and well-being are the prerequisites for engagement in our community. MIT President Sally Kornbluth testified that she does not believe restrictions on student speech are the correct way to combat anti-Semitism. The state's highest court hears arguments today in a case that could affect the future of police transparency rules in Massachusetts. As WBUR's Deborah Becker reports, the case before the Supreme Judicial Court involves Bristol County District Attorney Thomas Quinn. D.A. Quinn's office has appealed a lower court ruling ordering the D.A. to turn over full records of the investigation into a 2021 fatal shooting by police in Fall River. Quinn argues that because the officer was cleared of wrongdoing, it's up to the state commission that certifies officers to release any records. In opposing amicus briefs, several advocates maintain that Quinn's argument is an inaccurate interpretation of state public records laws and police reform laws. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Deborah Becker. The Worcester Red Sox will soon be under new ownership. New York-based Diamond Baseball Holdings announced its plan to buy a majority stake in the team yesterday. That group already owns the Red Sox single-A and double-A affiliates. The Woo Sox will remain at Polar Park under the deal. It's 8.06. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Metro West Subaru, where same-day and next-day service appointments are available. Service until 9 on Route 9 in Natick. And Office of the Massachusetts State Treasurer. Check to see if you have unclaimed property at findmassmoney.gov. The snowfall is picking up south of Boston right now. State transportation officials say the Bourne Bridge heading off the Cape is closed right now so crews can treat it. The side heading onto the Cape is still open. Here in Boston, there are flurries. Out inside 495 could see a coating today. Up to two inches could fall in some pockets along the coast. It'll be in the mid-30s, clearing overnight with temperatures near 20, mostly sunny tomorrow and in the mid-30s. It's 32 degrees in Boston. You're with WBUR. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Luminescence Foundation, dedicated to shedding light on neurological research focused on Alzheimer's and Parkinson's diseases and supporting land conservation initiatives. I'm Anthony Brooks. There is an inseparable link between the journalism that you rely on from WBUR and the listener support that makes it possible. Listener support continues to carry WBUR like never before. That's why your monthly gift is so important right now. 
To give, go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thanks. Good morning. It's a Wednesday morning on WBUR, and you are starting your day off right because you are listening to Morning Edition, as you always do, because we are your dependable companion and source of news absolutely every single morning when you are getting ready for your day. This is when we come back to you and say we need your help to keep going. We are in the last day of our year-end fundraiser. This is the last match. That means there's a dollar-for-dollar match on the table only until 9 o'clock, so that means there's about 52 minutes to go. And we need your help. We have $141,000 to raise before this fundraiser ends tonight. And we We need to raise that money in order to bring you all the news and conversations and discussions and analysis and everything else that you listen and you turn to us for. So go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shanoi here with Radio Boston host Tiziana Deering. Good morning, Tiziana. Good morning. And another thousand down. We have 140,000 to go. Those of you who have stepped up this morning, given, thank you. Mm. And those of you who are thinking about giving, listeners like you are stepping forward now. I'm asking you to be next. We have 51 minutes left on this match. We know that the morning of the last day of the fundraiser matters yes. to create a wave to get us over the top. We also know that morning edition is the time in the morning to get that done. And we know that there are now 50 minutes left to double the impact of your gift. And in a countdown, think about that. $5 a month becomes 10 against that number. $10 a month becomes 20. If you are someone who's thinking about end-of-year giving at a $1,000 gift, a $5,000 gift, a $10,000 gift, all of that is doubled. $10,000 gift becomes 20 against that $140,000 we have left to raise. There is too much going on in the world that you will turn to us to cover with reliability and clarity and mm-hmm. truth for us to miss our mark. Again, those of you who have helped us bring the number down this morning, thank you. If you are considering a gift, if you rely on us and you've not given before, if you just haven't done it yet and you planned to do it today, please, now, with now 49 minutes left on this match, Mm -hmm. now is the moment. I can't emphasize enough the difference it will make for us. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. So to review, we have until 9 o'clock to take advantage of this match. It's the last match of the day, and it will double your impact for WBUR. And also, we have $140,000 to raise, so we need your help to get there. Think about what you're getting when you give to WBUR. Just this morning, we had education reporter Max Larkin on talking about Harvard and MIT being grilled on Capitol Hill. We talked about the uh, funding for Ukraine and uh, in Congress and how there's shaky support for it. There was also, you know, lighter, kind of lighter stuff, like the controversy surrounding tourism to farms in Washington state. I had no idea that was even a thing. So think about those stories. Think about the companionship we bring you every morning, the connection to the world we make possible for you. 
All of that is only possible because of you and others in your community who step up on days like this when we need you the most because you recognize you have a role in making sure WBUR is there for this community. It only happens for your with your support. If you can give a bigger gift right now, please Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. This is the last match of the day, and we need you to take advantage of it because this is when we set the tone for the day. Morning Edition listeners create the momentum that gets us where we need to be. So go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Globally, we're covering two wars. In 24, we'll cover two elections at a time when deep fakes are harder than they've ever been. But you know you can trust us. Take advantage of the match. Help us get over a hump that we can't afford to miss. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And thanks. WBUR supporters include Cambridge School of Culinary Arts in Porter Square, with private cooking events for team building, family reunions, birthday parties, or nights out. CambridgeCulinary.com. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. After nine months, Alabama Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville has allowed more than 400 military promotions to proceed. He'd been putting a hold on Senate votes to approve those promotions. A hold like this is the prerogative of any senator, though it's rarely used to this extent. Tuberville was protesting a Pentagon policy that reimbursed service members for traveling for abortion services. He admits he failed to change that policy. We didn't get the win that we wanted. We've still got a bad policy. We've tried to stand up for the taxpayers of this country. NPR congressional correspondent Deirdre Walsh is with us now to tell us more about this. Good morning, Deirdre. Good morning, Michelle. So as, as we've just said, this has been going on for months now. What made Tuberville decide to back down now? Like, why now? Uh, really political pressure, but notably some of the most public criticism came from fellow Senate Republicans who were growing frustrated. Some sharp rebukes came from military veterans like Iowa Senator Joni Ernst, Alaska Senator Dan Sullivan, who warned about the damage this was causing to the military. Also, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was planning a vote to get around Tuberville's hold to change how the Senate approves military promotions, and some Senate Republicans were open to voting for that. Senators complained Tuberville was blocking hundreds of officers' promotions over a policy that they weren't involved in crafting. This was a policy put into place after the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. It covered the costs service members incurred for accessing abortion services. Some needed to travel out of state following new laws banning the procedure. Tuberville admitted the holds didn't work, but he said he might fight the policy in court. I think we we saw some success. We didn't get as much out of it as we wanted. But again, when they changed the rules on you, I had no opportunity to, to other than possibly down the road, a lawsuit. Okay. He says he had some success, did he? No. I mean, no policy had changed at all. I mean, he argues he put a spotlight on the issue, but he also admitted any legal fight he could wage could take a really long time to play out. His hold to block actions on these promotions was really unprecedented in terms of how many people it impacted, how long it lasted. But as Steve mentioned, under Senate rules, any one senator has the ability to place these holds. Schumer warned this episode should be a warning to others to not do this. He held out for many, many months, hurt our national security, caused discombobulation to so many military families who have been so dedicated to our country and didn't get anything that he wanted. 
And, and what's the Pentagon's response to this whole episode? And I also want to know, he hasn't dropped all the holds, has he? There are still some that he's holding up. Right. He's still holding up 11 four-star generals. Tuberville says he wants a more thorough vetting of these top leaders. The Pentagon is pushing for them to be approved quickly. The Pentagon spokesman, Brigadier General Pat Ryder, stressed that these generals include the vice chiefs of various services, the commander of the Pacific Fleet, the Northern Command, commander of Cyber Command, Space Command. Ryder says these are all key areas overseeing a lot of policy and need Senate approval quickly. Clearly vital and critical organizations, all of which require experienced senior leaders in those positions. Quickly, Deidre, before we let you go, what were the repercussions of this backlog on the families of service members? A lot of people were in limbo for months. Officers were unable to move for their new positions. That impacted their spouses getting jobs or their kids starting new schools. Schumer brought up the promotions hours after Tuberville released the hold, and over 400 were approved by voice vote. That is NPR's Deirdre Walsh. Deirdre, thank you. Thanks, Michelle. Israel's war on Hamas has moved into southern Gaza, leaving civilians with few places to seek safety. The Israeli military once told civilians to flee southward while they attacked Hamas in the north. But they've always mounted some attacks in the southern part of that territory, and those attacks are intensifying. Our next guest is Mirjana Shpulyarich. She was just there. She is president of the International Committee of the Red Cross and returned last night from a visit to Gaza. Welcome to the program. Good morning. What did you see and do? What I saw in Gaza is a shattering, devastating humanitarian situation. And the conditions are such that an adequate humanitarian response will not be possible if the situation persists as I found it yesterday and the day before. I'm curious about even the basics of a visit like this. Do you risk uh, Israeli bombardment in going in? Did you have some assurance that wherever you were would not be attacked? We require mobility. We require constant uh, adjustments um, with both sides to make sure that we can operate, that we can move safely. It is complex. It's very difficult. And our operating space is shrinking. So we have very limited mobility at the moment. I trust you have Red Cross personnel who are based in Gaza, who are working there every day. What are they able to do? We have uh, 130 personnel in Gaza. Um, They are assisting hospitals. They are delivering medical assistance. We are bringing fuel to the hospitals so that they have electricity. We deliver water. We try to access as many people, and especially children, as much as we can. Are the remaining hospitals, those that have not been shut down entirely, are they functioning? There are very few remaining hospitals and the surgical teams are working around the clock, but there is um, no surgical capacity in many parts of Gaza. So people have to um, move for long distances and this is extremely dangerous given the heavy wounds that they are um, suffering. How much better, if at all, did conditions get because of the pause of several days, which seems to have allowed the movement of more humanitarian aid? The, this, the pause allowed for some humanitarian respite. There was an increase in material reaching Gaza. There was an improvement of operating space, but this is all gone now. It is extremely difficult for us to move, and it is extremely difficult for us to bring in new material, especially medicine, because our stocks will run out in a day or two and we need to bring in more material. 
Uh, from time to time, you hear an allegation that humanitarian aid workers seem to have been targeted. This, of course, is a thing that Israel strongly denies. Can you just describe your workers' experiences? Have they been hit by gunfire or by bombs? Uh, and do they believe they are being targeted ever? We have lost two colleagues. Um, we are um, just seeing that it is increasingly dangerous to move. We are not um, assuming that we are being targeted deliberately, but it is a very dangerous operating space for humanitarians because there are not no sufficient security guarantees for us to move and to reach all parts of Gaza. And there are large parts of Gaza that we cannot reach regularly or at all. I'd like people to know if they don't, one of the classic functions of the Red Cross is talking with prisoners, prisoners of war. And in this case, of course, there are still many hostages that Hamas seized in its attack on Israel back on October 7th. Some have been released, some remain. Have your workers been able to see them, visit them, get any information about their condition? The unconditional release of the hostages and us being able to access them is a top priority for the International Committee of the Red Cross. We have been working on this since day one. We are talking to Hamas and at all levels. Uh, they know what the rights of the hostages are. They know that taking hostages is against international humanitarian law. But the release of hostages, and we've been able to facilitate the release of over 100 hostages, um, so far is a complex undertaking. It requires a lot of understanding and agreement from both sides so that we can move. Has Hamas allowed you to visit any of the hostages who remain? The visits, just as the release, require an agreement on both sides because we don't want to endanger the hostages. And this agreement has to be, you know, it has to come together so that we can um, access the hostages inform the families, but also bring assistance that they need. Okay. Mirjana Spoljaric of the International Committee of the Red Cross, thanks so much. I thank you. We just spoke of the hostages still being held by militants in Gaza. There are more than 130, and they have now been in captivity for 60 days. As Congress debates more aid for Israel, some of the family members of hostages are calling for more U.S. support to the effort to bring their loved ones home. NPR's Becky Sullivan has this report. Dahlia Paulina Kusner says it's impossible to explain to her kids what happened to their two uncles, Aitan and Yair Horn. These people just enter and took them, and we don't know when are they coming home, if they are coming home. The Horn brothers were two of the nearly 250 people who were kidnapped by Hamas and other militants on October 7th. More than 100 were freed during a seven-day ceasefire as part of an exchange for the release of hundreds of Palestinian prisoners from Israeli detention. But 138 hostages are still in captivity in Gaza, most of them adult men, including the Horn brothers. And a week ago, we got signs of life, and we were super happy knowing that they're alive and they're not injured. And I don't want to say they're in good health, but at least they're not wounded. Kusner and other hostage family members spoke Tuesday at a press conference in Washington alongside members of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. We need you to understand that every second is critical. And every minute that goes by, their chances to keep on being alive are decreasing because a human being cannot go through those kind of things. 
The press conference came as Congress debates a funding bill that would send $10 billion in military aid to Israel for its fight against Hamas. But some Democrats, including Senator Bernie Sanders, oppose sending what they call unconditional aid. On Monday, Sanders said Israel hasn't done enough to limit harm to civilians in Gaza, where authorities say about 16,000 people have been killed by Israeli airstrikes. Israel's indiscriminate approach is, in my view, offensive to most Americans. It is in violation of U.S. and international law. Top U.S. officials, including Secretary of State Antony Blinken, have urged Israel to take more effective steps to preserve civilian lives. Hundreds of Palestinians have been killed or wounded since the end of the temporary ceasefire, according to Gaza health officials. Becky Sullivan, NPR News, Washington. For more coverage and for differing views and analysis of the conflict, go to npr.org slash updates. And this is NPR News. Coming up in 10 minutes on Morning Edition, WBUR education reporter Max Larkin tells us what happened yesterday when the presidents of Harvard and MIT were grilled by a congressional committee about accusations of anti-Semitism on their campuses. It's 825. WBUR supporters include the Lyric Stage with Ken Ludwig's The Game's Afoot. This comedy mystery makes a memorable multi-generational holiday outing through December 17th. LyricStage.com and Lake Champlain Chocolates, celebrating the season with organic, fair trade chocolates at local specialty food stores and at LakeChamplainChocolates.com. This is Lisa Mullins. Support from our listeners does more than pay for WBR's journalism. Your support makes editorial independence a reality. And it all starts with your gift of $10 or maybe $15 a month. Those ongoing monthly contributions are how we pay for independent journalism. Sustain the journalism that sustains you. Start your monthly contribution at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Thanks. You are with WBUR as you are getting ready for work, as you are taking the kids to school. We are making it possible for you to do what you need to do and learn about what you need to know about the world and your neighborhood at the same time. That is why you listen. We are in the last day of our year-end fundraiser, and this is when we come back to you and say we need your help to keep this coming to you every single day. We have $134,000 to raise before this fundraiser ends at the end of today. And people are responding. People are stepping up. They are bringing this number down. They've already brought the number down a lot this morning. We are so grateful to those of you who are responding. You know how important it is to get things done at the start of your day before the day gets away from you. And you know that Morning Edition sets the tone for the rest of the day, and we get it done here. So... You have given. Be part of the momentum. Be part of the wave that is building right now and get in on a match. It ends at ele- at 9 o'clock. It's a dollar-for-dollar dollar match. It only lasts, again, for the next 33 minutes. We need you to take advantage of it and show how much you value WBUR. Go to WBUR.org or call one 800 909 9287. I'm Rupa Shanoi here with Tiziana Deering. Good morning. Uh, Rupa's right. 33 minutes left on a dollar for dollar match. We have $134,000 left to raise today. Those of you who have given this morning, thank you. Mm-hmm. 
If you have been waiting, now is the time to give. Morning edition on the last day of a fundraiser is a hugely important time for us to raise a chunk of money that creates a wave that gets us over the top. We know this. And a dollar-for-dollar match makes that twice as fast. So your $5 a month becomes $10. Your $20 a month becomes $40, if that's what you're comfortable with, if that's what's meaningful to you. If at your end of year giving, you're capable of and it's meaningful to you to give a $1,000 or $5,000 or $10,000 or $500, any of that is doubled and makes a huge dent in the remaining $134,000. I've been listening alongside you this morning. We have covered some really tough stories, Mm -hmm. and we are going to continue to cover two wars, a presidential election, a family emergency shelter crisis here Mm -hmm. in the state, climate. I mean, it goes on and on. It's tough stuff. But you know you can count on us to do it fairly, clearly, and beholden to no one but you. At the same time, we cannot afford to fall short on a fundraiser right now when those are the stakes. This is the time, 22 minutes left, to get your money doubled. If you have been waiting, I am asking you. I cannot communicate the power of taking advantage of the match and making sure that we hit a big number during morning edition this morning. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And the news can be overwhelming. It's like Tiziana said, there's just so much to it. It just goes on and on and on. And yeah, you give to WBUR because maybe sometimes you, you can't think about everything that's going on in the world, but you want an eye on it, especially locally. You want to know that there is a watchdog out there advocating for you and the public. That is what WBUR does. We keep on top of things and we bring you news like what's happening with the two biggest universities in Cambridge. Uh, and we are you are crucial to us being able to continue to, to bring you the high-quality journalism you hear every morning, especially at a time when facts and being well-informed has never been more important for you and your community. This match only lasts for another 30 minutes. Your impact for WBUR will be doubled, and you care about that. You care about impact, and you can be part of this wave that gets it done for the day, because this this is the last day of our year-end fundraiser. This is our last chance to raise the money we need to bring you everything you expect in the new year. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. And thank you so much. Listeners like you have been giving this morning. Be the next one. 800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And thanks. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Center for Audit Quality, committed to enhancing public trust in the economy through assurance. Auditors are serving investors, small businesses, and working Americans. Learn more at thecaq.org. From Procter & Gamble, maker of Align Probiotic, a daily supplement designed by gastroenterologists to help relieve occasional bloating, gas, and abdominal discomfort. More at alignprobiotics.com. From StoryWorth, each week, StoryWorth emails a loved one a question about their life. After a year, they'll publish family memories into a bound book to keep forever. Learn more at StoryWorth.com. And from listeners like you who donate to this NPR station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. 
President Biden raised some eyebrows yesterday when he told campaign donors in Massachusetts he wasn't sure if he'd be seeking a second term if Donald Trump wasn't also in the race. Biden was asked about his comments last night when he returned to the White House aboard Marine One. But look, he is running and I just I have to run. Speaking at a series of fundraisers in the Boston area, Biden warned democracy in the U.S. is more at risk by Trump being in the race. Polls show Trump continues to lead the Republican field of presidential contenders by wide margins in the race for the party's 2024 nomination. Trump is skipping tonight's fourth Republican presidential debate. He did not take part in the party's first three events. Four candidates will take the stage tonight at the University of Alabama. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. A grand jury in Oregon has decided against charging an Alaska Airlines pilot with attempted murder. Instead, Joseph Emerson is facing 83 counts of recklessly endangering another person. Prosecutors say Emerson tried to cut the engines on a Horizon air flight while flying off-duty back in October. He's also charged with endangering an aircraft. This is NPR News. From WBUR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. A ballot question over whether to give tipped workers the state's minimum wage is a step closer to going before voters. The committee behind that question says it's filed enough petition signatures with the Secretary of State's office. Estefania Galvis is the chair of that committee called One Fair Wage. The time to fight for workers is now. The time to even out the fuel is now. And we just really want to make sure that Everyone knows that this is about the industry, this is about the workers, this is about small businesses, and this is about making our communities thrive. If approved, wait staff and other tipped workers would see their wages rise to the state minimum of $15 an hour within five years. Right now, the minimum wage for tipped workers is $6.75 an hour. Tax collections for Massachusetts are lower than expected. Data from the State Department of Revenue show about $2.3 billion in taxes were collected last month. That's nearly 11 percent below the benchmark set by state leaders. The news comes amid increased spending in the state budget. The Healy administration is launching an effort to protect agricultural areas. It says Massachusetts is at risk of losing vast swaths of farmland to climate change and development. Gerard Kennedy works for the State Department of Agricultural Resources. He says the Massachusetts Farmland Action Plan will also focus on providing beginning farmers with land to cultivate. You're protecting our food supply for the future. There's parts of this country that are experiencing such extreme weather events, and many of those areas are where we import food from. So the the Farmland Action Plan is is important as a way towards ensuring food security. Only about 15 percent of the state's 500,000 acres of farmland are protected from conversion to other uses. It's 835. WBUR supporters include Boston Ballet's The Nutcracker. Beloved characters and stunning dancing will enchant audiences of all ages through December 31st. Tickets at bostonballet.org. After four years, Alex Verdugo's time with the Red Sox is over. The Sox traded the outfielder to the New York Yankees. In exchange, Boston gets three pitching prospects. Mid-30s and cloudy today with a chance of snow showers. Boston and areas east of 495 could get a coating 
parts of the coast could get up to two inches. Low 20s tonight and the clouds slowly move out. Tomorrow, mostly clear skies and mid-30s. It's 31 degrees in Boston. You're with WBUR. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Organic Valley, a farmer-owned cooperative dedicated to providing ethically sourced food from small organic family farms across the country. Learn more at ov.coop slash ethically sourced. And from Procter & Gamble, maker of Nervive Nerve Relief. Nervive is designed to reduce occasional nerve aches, weakness, and discomfort in hands or feet due to aging. Learn more at nervivehealth.com. This is NPR. This is W.B. Moore's Morning Edition. I'm Rupa Shinoy. The leaders of Harvard and MIT were grilled by a congressional committee yesterday on Capitol Hill. The focus was their response to accusations of anti-Semitism on their campuses amid heightened tensions over the war between Israel and Hamas. Harvard President Claudine Gay and MIT President Sally Kornbluth condemned hate speech and harassment against both Jewish and Muslim students, but defended the importance of free speech. WBUR's Max Larkin watched the hearing and joins us now. Good morning, Max. Good morning, Rupa. So why was this hearing called and how was it framed? I mean, this hearing was scheduled and chaired by the Republicans who control the Committee on Education and the Workforce. And so the hearing began, I think, with a partisan charge to begin with committee chair Virginia Fox of North Carolina. She implied that universities, as they've sought to promote racial equity, have instead become kind of cesspools of anti-Semitism and done nothing to stop it. What I'm describing is a grave danger inherent in assenting to the race-based ideology of the radical left. Institutional anti-Semitism and hate are among the poison fruits of your institution's cultures. And then Fox also asked each of the testifiers to take turns answering whether they believed Israel had, quote, a right to exist, to which they all said yes. Okay, and what else did the university leaders say? One thing to note here is that all of these campus leaders are fairly new to their roles, and this is the first time they've appeared on a public stage to discuss this issue. Harvard's President Claudine Gay condemned hateful rhetoric, including protest chants that seem to call for the elimination of the state of Israel. Gay also stressed that her administration has taken concrete steps to address anti-Semitism and other acts of hate since October 7th, among them issuing policy statements, convening task forces, and even taking some disciplinary actions against some students. But then she said that's only part of her job. Anti-Semitism is a symptom of ignorance, and the cure for ignorance is knowledge. Harvard must model what it means to preserve free expression while combating prejudice and preserving the security of our community. Then again, Gay stressed once again that she is committed to educating Harvard students about the dangers of anti-Semitism specifically. How did these presidents say they're preserving free expression on campus amidst these tensions? Yeah, these are career academics to a woman, and they were clear. Campuses that want to promote learning have to allow for difficult dialogue, even when, as Kornbluth said, it's terribly uncomfortable. But then many House Republicans wanted more. For instance, Representative Elise Stefanik of New York got into a war of words with Gay when Gay stopped short of promising to punish students who chanted certain pro-Palestinian slogans. Do you know what the number one hate crime in America is? It is anti-Jewish hate crimes. And Harvard ranks the lowest when it comes to protecting Jewish students. 
At that point, Rupa Stefanik, who is a Harvard alumna and Trump ally, repeated an earlier call she'd made for Gay to resign. I want to add that, in fact, anti-black hate crimes are consistently about three times as common as anti-Jewish hate crimes, according to federal criminal data. It really sounds like an onslaught of criticism. How did Gay and Kornbluth respond? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, being the president of a university is a dream job for an academic. It's well-paid, it's prestigious, but then days like yesterday show how difficult it can be, too. Gay and Kornbluth sought to express personal remorse and reservations that the atmosphere on their campus has become charged and maybe toxic since October 7th. But then they wanted to stop short of committing their institutions to cracking down on what might be lawful protest and difficult conversations. So under questioning, I I think they were pretty poised and for the most part refused to do what House leadership wanted them to do, namely to create a kind of zero tolerance policy for certain voices, even when they offend. WBUR education reporter Max Larkin, thank you very much. Thank you, Rupa. WBUR supporters include Brookline Bank, where financial solutions are crafted to the needs of your business and delivered with a hands-on approach committed to your success. Learn more at brooklinebank.com. Member FDIC. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Threats to democracy make an informed public critical to America's future. WBUR will always be free thanks to listeners who give voluntarily. Give monthly to give real journalism a strong future. Here's how. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287 and do it in the next 19 minutes because there is a dollar-for-dollar match on the table, but it is the last match of this fundraiser, this year-end fundraiser, because this is the last day of that match. And it is this match, again, is only available until 9. We need you to get in on it because we still have $130,000 left to raise. 129 now. Oh, nice. Yes, you are chipping away at it. It is so exciting to see people respond because you are listening and you care and you know that we need this money in order to bring you the news and the conversations and everything else that you turn to us for every single day because we are there for you every single day. We want to continue to be there at the level you expect. That is why your support of WBUR is so important as we wrap up this year-end fundraiser. Act now by going to WBUR.org or calling 1-800-909-9287. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shanoi, and I'm here this morning with Tiziana Deering of Radio Boston. Getting ready for a show later today, but really glad to be here with you this morning. $129,000 to go on this last day of the fundraiser. Many of you this morning have given and gotten that number down significantly. If and thank you. you. Gave, right. If you gave this morning... Thank you. Yeah. If you have not given in this fundraiser yet, listeners like you are stepping forward this morning with 17 minutes left to go in this dollar for dollar match. I'm asking you to be the next one. Couple things we know. We know that the last day needs a wave in the morning yes. to get us over the hump. Yep. And we know that morning edition is the time for that wave. And we know that a dollar-for-dollar match matters. It ends in 17 minutes. Your dollar 
$10 a month gift becomes $20, a $50 a month gift becomes $100. If you're an end-of-year giver who has the capacity to make a substantial contribution, $250 or $500, which become $500 and $1,000. Or if you're that $5,000 donor, that $10,000 donor who now gives ten or twenty k to WBUR, right now you double that. After 9 a.m., your money's worth half what it is to us right now. Mm. Please join other listeners who are stepping forward this morning. I'm asking you, if you have not given, be the next one. It makes such a tremendous difference always, but this morning, it's the thing that helps put us over the edge. And in a time where we have to keep pace, not only with an unbelievable news cycle, but in a world where it's increasingly hard to know what's real and what's true, we can't afford to fail yeah. on a fundraiser. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Oof, the half that your your contribution is worth half after 9 o'clock. I hadn't thought of it that way before. That's tough. It's true. Okay, so we need you to act in the next 15 minutes to take advantage of this match that is our last match of this year-end fundraiser on this last day. There is a lot at stake here, and we need your help to make sure we end up on the right on the right side of this. We are committed to always being there for you with the information you need to know. This is when we remind you that you have a part to play in all this. This is not a passive service. WBUR is something we do together all together, all year long. And this is when that happens. And if you, like me, are listening to Tiziana tell you everything, everything that public media and WBUR brings to you every day and why it is so important. And I, when she talks, I just want to shout amen. I oh, just, thank you. And 128 to go. We're down another thousand. Oh, that is wonderful. Thank you so much for giving. Thank you very much. You are part of the wave. You are part of the momentum that will make sure that WBUR has the funds it needs to continue at the level you expect. If you haven't already, be part of that wave because being part of a wave is really important. It sets the tone for the rest of the day. It will determine where we end up. So go to WBUR.org or call one 800 909 9287. We have 15, 14 minutes left on this match, this dollar for dollar match that puts so much power behind your gift. It's also you accepting an invitation from other listeners, other listeners who have given this morning to mm -hmm. help knock off more of the money so that there's 128,000 left to go, and other listeners who have put their dollars forward and said, hey, Join us. We all know how important it is The WBUR be there for us. We are committed. I can't tell you how committed we are to making sure that we are here for you day after day, especially given what we know is ahead. We're covering two wars. We'll cover an election cycle in 2024, uh, a strain on the emergency uh, family shelter uh, in Massachusetts, climate, transportation, but we can't do it if we don't have the money. And there's more to cover all the time in an increasingly challenging environment. Accept the invitation from these listeners to get your dollars doubled, but only in the next 13 minutes. Help us. 127 left to 127. go. Thank you, those who are giving. If you haven't given yet, I'm asking you to be the next one. And if you can give a big gift, this is when it has the most impact. Your money goes farther. You get more for your money for WBUR when you give right now. You have 13 minutes and we need you to act. Go to WBUR.org 
or call 1-800-909-9287. And thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. Exploring, understanding, and protecting our ocean starts with you. Help support advances in ocean science and technology for the global good. Discover how you can make a difference. More at whoi.edu slash join. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. Four of the remaining Republican presidential candidates will be on stage for tonight's debate in Alabama. And four is the smallest lineup so far. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, the entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Former President Trump will not be there, instead attending a fundraiser near Miami. NPR's Franco Ordonez is here with us to talk about the stakes of this fourth Republican debate, and he's actually here with us in the studio. Good morning. Good morning, Michelle. Okay, so who are you going to be watching most closely? You know, Michelle, I'm going to be watching Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. I expect a lot of people will be also. I mean, Haley's got some momentum. She's actually caught up to DeSantis in the polls, and that's really led to some greater interest for her on the campaign trail, as well as with donors. You know, She's also picked up some big money donors in recent weeks. And this debate is another chance for her to make the case that she's the best alternative to Trump, who, of course, is still the frontrunner. DeSantis, he's meanwhile, is going to try to defend his second place position. He's really fighting for attention. Okay, so the debate is in Alabama, but the Iowa caucuses are just six weeks away. So how how are they going to sort of handle that or speak to that? Right, right. You know, there's going to be a lot of Alabama Republicans in the room, but they don't vote until Super Tuesday, which is in March. Republican strategist Doug Hyde told me that's just too late. He says the most important voters are in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. Now, you still have to win over the room, uh, because if you don't win over those Alabamans in the debate room, that, that may fall short of what people see then on TV. But if you're Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, especially, and you want to have a breakout moment here, That breakout moment is defined by how you translate into the polls into those early caucus and primary states. Now, he expects the candidates will be spending a lot of time speaking to issues that are important to voters in those three states. And plus, you know, a Republican primary, there's really not a lot of difference between the policy positions for those remaining candidates. So they need to stand out in other ways. It's going to be more about personalities. All right. But the biggest personality, Trump, won't be there. I think we keep saying this over and over again. I mean, this is the fourth debate. This is the fourth time he hasn't gone. Has his absence made a difference? I mean, it really hasn't dented his support. You know, he still, of course, is going to be, you know, the elephant who is not in the room. He's going to likely dominate all parts of the conversation or at least many parts of the conversation. We'll see if the candidates go after him directly, which they haven't so much. Uh, And his hold really remains very strong. But this time he doesn't have some separate event planned to coincide with the debate. Yeah, that's probably the the biggest change. There's no counter-programming per se. You know, he hasn't scheduled any other events to kind of steal attention away. And that's, you know, not insignificant. I mean, that means maybe more Republicans will tune into the debate. And really, with fewer candidates on stage, that means they might have some more time to talk. They might have some more time to shine. But, you know, again, this is still very much a race for second place. And, you know, these debates, they're kind of supposed to be these big events in the presidential primaries, you know, these marquee nights. But Trump's absence has kind of sapped some of that energy away, kind of taken away some of the drama that we've come to expect every four years. All right. That is NPR's Franco Ordonez. Franco, thank you. Thank you, Michelle. 
One of my memories of reporting from Colombia is just how green the country is. With landscapes ranging from the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, it is one of the most biodiverse countries in the world. Activists who try to protect that biodiversity sometimes need protection themselves because Colombia is the deadliest country in the world for environmentalists. Reporter John Otis has more. Aboard a small boat, Julie Velasquez motors up a branch of the Magdalena River near the city of Barranca Bermeja. It's home to oil refineries and petrochemical plants that dump wastewater into the river. So we've just gone up a little tributary and suddenly the water's turned this kind of unnatural greenish shade. Velasquez, who heads an association of fishers, comes here every month to take water samples that often test positive for ammonia and other chemicals. She's spent the past decade sounding the alarm about water pollution, how it kills off fish and drives away herons, kingfishers, and other birds. Along the way, she's made a lot of enemies. Two years ago, she says, gunmen shot up her house as Velasquez, along with her husband and two children, were inside sleeping. Months later, assailants fired on her boat, but Velasquez escaped. And in yet another attack last year, a bullet meant for Velasquez struck one of her bodyguards in the face. He survived, but many Colombian activists have not. A recent report by the London-based group Global Witness ranks Colombia as the most dangerous country in the world for defenders of the environment. Of the 177 green activists killed around the world last year, the report says 60 were murdered in Colombia. It's really a shameful statistic for the country, said Susana Muhammad, Colombia's environment minister. Overall, violence in Colombia has diminished in the wake of a 2016 peace treaty that disarmed the country's largest guerrilla group. But the rebels have been replaced by drug traffickers and criminal gangs involved in illegal logging, gold mining, and land seizures. These groups often target activists who get in their way. In other cases, the culprits are corrupt politicians or shady business owners promoting agro-industry and development schemes. Laura Furones, a Global Witness senior advisor, explains that they are rarely prosecuted. There's a huge problem of impunity. Most of the cases of killings end up with no one being tried, let alone put in jail. The attacks on Julie Velasquez began after she denounced irregularities in the awarding of a lucrative city contract for cleaning up rivers and lagoons near Barranca Bermeja. Since then, the Colombian government has provided her with an armored SUV and two pistol-packing escorts. Police stop by her house several times per day. I follow her into one neighborhood where drinking water has become contaminated by a natural gas leak. One resident, Johnny Ramirez, is grateful for her support but worries for her safety. He says her enemies consider Velasquez a loudmouth who must be silenced. Velasquez says that's not going to happen. 
Sigue la resistencia. Despite the threats and killings, the fight goes on, she says, because if we don't do this, who will? For NPR News, I'm John Otis in Barranca Bermeja, Colombia. This is NPR News. Here with WBUR. At the top of the hour, we'll go to the BBC News Hour. They'll have a report from Gaza on people trying to flee Israel's offensive. It's 8.55. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Fidelity Investments. Reminding you, it's never too early to start saving for your child's future. Learn more about a tax-advantaged 529 college savings account and how you can use the money to pay for qualified expenses at fidelity.com slash ufund. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC, and Ocean State Job Lot, committed to fighting hunger in the Northeast by donating food to local food banks and pantries. OceanStateJobLot.com. Climate change dominated the headlines this year. Wildfires stoked by Hurricane Dora spread across the island of Maui. A dangerously large plume of moisture known as an atmospheric river slams into the region. But there were also stories of hope. This hotline helps people figure out how to save important objects and buildings after disasters. Invest in the future of climate change coverage on NPR and this station. Here's how. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. There are six, five minutes to go, four minutes to go. But in this dollar-for-dollar match, it is the last match of our year-end fundraiser. This is the last day of the fundraiser, and these are crucial minutes. We have $109,000 left to raise before this fundraiser ends. We have made an amazing dent in that during Morning Edition. I am so grateful and proud of my morning listeners. You have set the tone. You have stepped up. You have created the momentum we need. You listening who haven't stepped up yet, you can still get in on this amazing wave, on this phenomenon that was built this morning by generous listeners just like you. So go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm, oh, math, three minutes left to go. Tiziana Deering here. So glad to be with you, Rupa, this morning and with Morning Edition listeners. We're in this tricky moment. Those of you who have given, thank you. If you have not given two minutes left on this dollar-for-dollar match, join them. We've made a huge dent, and $109,000 left in a single day is still a lot. Mm. So when you join them, when you accept the invitation from the Murrow Society members who have put the dollar-for-dollar match on the table, and you join what other Morning Edition listeners have started, you make this possible. Mm. It's you. You're the one who makes this possible. $109,000 by the end of the day today means you. If you've waited, now is the time. And in two minutes, your dollars will actually be worth half what they're worth right now. So if you can do that 10 or 20 or $30 a month, it becomes twice that. If in your end of year giving, you have the capacity for a large one-time gift, that 500 or 1,000 or that 5,000 or 10,000, Double it now in the last two and a half minutes of this match. 
it will make a huge difference for us. You'll be joining other listeners. You'll be accepting the invitation from the Murrow Society members. And you'll be helping create the wave that we know we need from Morning Edition listeners in order to get across the finish line tonight. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Two minutes. I don't, I, I, I don't know anything else I could do in two minutes that would be as impactful yeah, as point. you acting right now and going to WBUR.org or calling 1-800-909-9287. Thank you again to everyone who has stepped up. I am so, again, grateful and proud. Listeners built WBUR into what it is now. That is what we are seeing in action this morning. It excites me so much. You keep us a pillar in your community This is when we remind you that you support, your support needs to be continual in order to keep this service coming to you at the level you expect. We need you to act. If you haven't already, if you're a procrastinator, this is like the ultimate procrastination moment. You have one minute left to get in on this match and have your impact for WBUR doubled. And I know it's meaningful for me to have my money go as far as it possibly can be. This is what's happening right now. When you act right now, you can have the most possible impact you can have today for WBUR. So go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. The world is moving fast. The news is getting tougher globally, nationally, locally. Two wars we're covering, a 2024 election coming, so much happening at the state level, a tough economy. Yes, there is joy in this season, but there's also tough news. And in a time when it is increasingly hard to know what's real, what's true, what's fact. But you don't have to question that when you turn to WBUR. You know that. You need us on the front lines. Mm -hmm. We want to be there for you. But it means we cannot afford to miss a target on a fundraiser. Less than a minute to go. Double your dollars. Help us chip away at this 109000 so we can hit it by the end of the day. Act now, please. And thank you so much. 800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by New England Innovation Academy, preparing students through innovation, entrepreneurship, and human-centered design. Tour day, December 9th, neiacademy.org. I'm On Point executive producer Jonathan Dyer, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUH-Hisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station.